Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. Hey, everyone. Welcome to From the Kitchen Table. I'm Sean Duffy, along with my co-host for the podcast, my partner in life, and my wife, Rachel Campos Duffy. Thank you, Sean. It's so great to be around our kitchen table. And so let's just get right to it because we have a good friend with us today. And he is a Fox News contributor. As I mentioned, he's our friend. And he is the author of Come On, Man. It's Joe Concha. Joe Concha. Welcome to From the Kitchen Table. Come on, man. I, I love saying that, Joe. It's, it's like the on. best title for a book. Is, that, <laughs> is it the title that put you on the New York Times bestseller, Joe? Hi, Duffies. Uh, I think the title helps, right? Title and timing, they say, <laughs> when you're writing books. You guys know this, having That's bestsellers right. yourself. But uh, my publisher, after the fact, he goes, you know, the one regret I have is that we didn't name it what I thought of after we already started printing them. I go, what's that? He goes, we should have called it The Big Guy. That's a good point. Uh, yeah. You know, no, that could have resonated It's just more fun saying, come on, man. Come on, man. Precisely. What, what is the byline under that? Give me that. This is the no good, horrible. I think I finally remembered it without okay. having to look at the book. Joe Biden's um, terrible, horrible, no good, very bad presidency. I believe that's, we stole that from a children's <laughs> book, but no lawsuits have come in yet. Thank God. It's a great movie, too, by the way. It is a great movie. It's a, kids kids, our, our, our kids love it. So, Joe, before we get into the book, you know, a lot of times at Fox, we meet people, we make friends with people that we work with. We host and co-host and interview and do panels together. But we don't always get the backstory of who who is Joe Concha. Who is Joe Concha? So just tell us a little bit about about yourself and, and, and just kind of how you ended up We want up to know Fox. about the author. Yeah. <laughs> the how author? Up, I, the author Joe I'll Concha. be honest with you. I, I needed money, you know. I mean... <laughs> You <laughs> no, should write a book. That. Everybody at Fox. That, Joe. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, let's see. Where to begin? Joe tell us. Born, tell us how you yeah. ended up in TV. Born and raised in New Jersey, where uh, you guys reside now. And as you can see, you probably heard so many horrible things about New Jersey, and you're like, "Hey, it's actually kind of nice." And I almost really feel like I'm in the pretty. country here. It is really, really this time pretty of year. place. Great foliage uh, out, out by you at this time of year. But uh, for, I grew up here. I went to University of Maryland. I was in broadcasting as early as high school where I was on a community access show called Rock and Roll TV. So that was kind of cool. And then from there, uh, college just did the radio station thing and, and called college basketball games. And I really like sports. So I tried to get into sports broadcasting. I was a producer at a little station in New York called New York One, owned by Time Warner. And I was doing post games at Yankee Stadium after games and then just realized 
realized after a couple of years that it is so competitive trying to get into sports, trying to get hired by ESPN or Fox Sports. So I said, you know what? Let me go into sales. <laughs> Game up. <laughs> you would think, oh, happy ending. Well, not quite. So I sold like video conferencing for a wonderful uh, IT company called Cisco. It's like a Fortune 100 type of company. They treat you really well. They let you work from home before working from home was kind of a thing. And I was making good money and I'm cruising along and I get married and I'm about to have my first kid and I'm on a boat going from Nantucket to Martha's Vineyard. Or maybe it was the other way around. Oh, I remember just reading a Joe. book. <laughs> it sounds so that's pretentious what when I say that. The, that's what did 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 Governor Abbott send you there? He did. <laughs> yes, he flew me in. Yeah, they kicked me out immediately, just like those other folks. Uh, but and I was just thinking, I'm like, you know, what am I doing? I I, I should be on television. I, I know I'm. I, I feel like I'm settling. I think the reason why I was thinking this because my 40th birthday was coming soon, and you kind of like reflect on your life. I'm like, this is while I'm comfortable. I'm. I feel like I'm settling, and I should just take a chance and, and try to get in the television. So I started writing for this site called Mediaite, uh, which covers like the cable news mm-hmm. industry. And then before you know it, I'm getting booked on. Fox News and I'm getting booked on CNN and I'm doing a decent job as a guest and before you know it I'm getting booked even more and more and then The Hill notices me I guess on TV a lot so they hire me to be a full-time media reporter and then eventually Fox signs me to to be a contributor so it was kind of like a really twisty turny way to get to to where I am now but I'm so glad I had that thought on that boat you know basically 10 years ago so 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 you're so glad you had a midlife crisis on the boat some people buy Porsches. I decided to go for a career change, but I think that I the trick was story. it's a good story because I, but I thought, all right, I, I'm not going to make the same mistake again and do what everybody else does and get into some sort of competitive type of field. And I just remember watching the news and, and watching cable news and just being like, wait a minute, that was just dishonest what that person said, or wait a minute, that sounds more like an activist than a journalist. And, and then I found myself writing about it and it turned out there weren't too many me's out there as far as media, right? As far as people who cover it. I'm like, wait, I got to be better than that Brian Stelter kid this will be easy and here we are the, the bar is low <laughs> the bar is low but, yes. so so Joe first so you started doing uh hits on TV those yep. are for free you, you do those to give your opinion Ugh. you're on TV and then the hill notices that they hire you and and at that point did you quit your job at Cisco and take the job at the hill and start writing full-time is that how oh well when did for you a while when did your, I kept when did your both. wife want to kill you for you know you did you did both okay oh yeah no I I did both uh, and even had a show on a, a station called Newsmax so I was juggling a lot it was like a one hour show but it was when they first like launched that that TV station and the community mm-hmm. access station that I worked on in high school looked better than whatever I was doing at Newsmax I mean, it was just it was, they, they weren't quite ready yet but I you know it, it, it's fine so I did that for a year so I was doing TV show at night. I was still selling for Cisco because I had basically a book of clients. So I, I just all I had to do was just get renewal contracts out of them. It wasn't all that hard. And then from there, I also uh, was writing uh, for The Hill, which I and all these things I could do from home. So I all I did was just kind of bounce back and forth. And then one time I remember a top executive at Cisco, uh, he pulls me aside, right? He says, I, I want to talk to you about something. I, I said, yeah, sure. What's up? He goes, well, before I wanted to have this conversation with you, I did look up your numbers and, and you're over quota every quarter. As, he says, that's good. He goes, but then I turned the TV last night and, and you're talking to Megyn Kelly and I'm just kind of confused <laughs> how you're doing that. <laughs> what are you doing? And you're working for us. I said, you know, it's work-life balance. That's more of a hobby. It's no big deal. He goes, well, keep up the good work. And is, is Megan really as pretty in person as she is, uh, you know, on TV? I'm like, all right, yeah, I guess so. You know, I don't know. So they were kind of like <laughs> starstruck. I thought I was going to get fired. But uh, now I've simplified things down to The Hill and Fox and, uh, you know, the book writing. And, again, 
most of it I do from home. And once in a while, I come in to see you, Rachel oh, or Sean. I'm on a set with you. But for the most part, yeah, it's it's from the basement. I'm the original Joe in his basement. I, I, I really, really love it. And I have to say, like, you know, when we're as a host, when we get our lineup of who's coming on the show and we see your name on there, we know it's going to be a fun segment. And I think one of the things I, I you know, from this interview and, and just from knowing you, I know you love sports. What I like about you, Joe, is you love pop culture and you're not oh, ashamed yeah. of it. You're like me. You just kind of dig into it. And um, you always have something interesting to say really quick. Tell us what is it about pop culture that you love? It's the escapism, right? And just you know, when you work hard and you have kids, just once in a while, it's good to. I've been addicted to Cobra Kai over over the last couple of weeks. I've been I've been binging. You on and that. Sean Duffy. Oh, really? Well, no, no. I the, the first two the first two seasons I was into Joe, and then it kind of started getting off kilter for me. I'm like, ah, I started to lose it. My kids are still watching it, but I I bailed after season two. But it, well, what a know, fascinating concept! It, it, it it's amazing Bring how the, we have two <laughs> we have two instances where you have. Movies that existed 35 years ago, right, with Top Gun and with Karate Kid. And then 35 years later, they're using the same characters, and they don't look all that different than they did in the movie. I mean, between <laughs> Tom Cruise, Ralph Macchio, and the, the kid who plays Johnny Lawrence, I mean, it's kind of – they age, sure, but you would think – it used to be if you were in your mid to late 50s that – you looked old, right? Like, here, here's a little pop culture a trivia for you. How old was Wilford Brimley when they made Cocoon? Remember the, the movie about the old mm. people that, that jump on the yeah. fountain of youth and they all become young? 49. He's 49 in that movie. And, and I'm oh looking at my myself. Oh, my goodness. I'm 51. No I'm like, idea. there's hope. Yeah, I know. Isn't that crazy? Or, or Ralph, uh, who was it? Um, the, the guy who played uh, Mr. Miyagi, uh, Pat Morita, right? Was 51 right. in the original Karate Kid. Yet he's referred to as the old man throughout it. I'm like, wait, that's my age. So uh, I, I don't know. What, what gets yeah, me but into I, it? But, Joe, I look at my grandma and then I look at my mom and I know how old my grandmother was when she died and what she looked like, she was like in her seventies and she was like in a black dress with a little white hair and a bun. And I look at my mom who's over 80. My mom looks great. So I think that, you know, it's like 70 is the new 50 or 50 is new 70. Which way does that go? Well, you get what I'm saying. Can I, can I go to the, on, on the karate kid, Johnny Lawrence, who, you know, when he comes back in this, in this remake um, called Cobra Kai, he comes back with his Trans Am and he's listening to 1980s rock right. music still and he's drinking beer and he's a, his life's a mess. But he's, he hasn't left the 80s and, and the and the, the Valley Tournament that he lost to Ralph Macchio in. That's uh, right. It is, it is, you know what? Because the 80s was we did a whole episode on this, Sean. We, 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 we did the whole Tom Cruise and the whole phenomenon behind the remake. And the 80s were a good time. I mean, if you, even if you think well, we're going to get to your book and this is a little bit political, but. You just look at the politics. You look at, at at schools. You look at everything was just better in the 80s, wasn't it? It was. And Johnny drank Coors Banquet, by the way. Like, he's still drinking the, the beer that no one drinks anymore, you know? <laughs> uh, I loved it when he bought a, a bought a computer because he wanted to go on the Internet so he could uh, start to advertise Cobra Kai because he was hanging up, like, flyers all around, you know, the on telephone poles, which, again, is something you did in the 80s you don't do now. And he buys the computer, and then he has trouble, like, logging on because he's never used one before. And he keeps going back to the guy he bought it from. Uh, at, at like a, a, a used computer store. And the guy's like, look, dude, I just sell these things. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not your IT customer service desk. It's just too you're funny. Consulting. But you're right about the 80s. I mean, you think about it, boy, we had peace, we had prosperity, and we had fun. That was the most important yes. thing, right? Duran, Everyone Duran. Everyone was off their phones, and people went on dates, and people hung out. My kids watched Stranger Things, and 
like they all come to me and say, what was it like in the 80s? It seems so cool. And I'm like, people went to malls back then. I'm like, yeah, we went to malls. Went to malls. Yeah, that's how we, we that's where we hung out. And they actually think it's a cool idea. I think it's because kids nowadays, they don't really have the social life we had then because we didn't have phones. We actually had to communicate with each other and we hung out and we look forward to the weekends and going to the mall and going to the movie theaters um, and going to, you know, um, where, where are those are like arcades and, yeah. and, and places like that, that we actually gathered as big groups to go do stuff. And now they just, even if they hang out, Joe, they're on their phones, like texting each other in the same room. The 80s was a John Hughes movie, right? It, it was a party scene in yes, Weird Science or 16 you. Candles, right? And it was just, it, there, there were no consequences. There, there was no accountability. You just, you just did. You didn't think, you just did. And, and yeah, you're exactly right about that. I remember the, the great thing about snow days in the 80s, right? When, when you just tell your, your mom, your dad, you're like, all right, I'm going out with my friends to go sleigh riding. And, and all she would say is, all right, just be back before dark. <laughs> like, no, right. you can't. Try, try, I can't let my kids go out alone. Now. Exactly. Like, it's just a different thought process mentality now that, and you're right about the phones. What my friends and I do when we go out to dinner, and it's, it's a rare thing these days, it's like maybe once or twice a year now, but our rule is every puts, everybody puts their phone in the middle of the table, and the first one to reach for it, they have to pay the bill. How do you like that? Wow. That's, a, that's a great But, but it's, it was also interesting like how we all met up at different places without phones and text messaging each other. And, you know, there was we just right. all that's kind why of the happened. Location, but that's why the location was good. Like, you didn't have to text anybody. You knew that if it was Saturday, your friends were going to be at the football game. And then afterwards, you guys would all just go somewhere. Or maybe it was everyone goes to the mall or there was an arcade that everyone met up at. And I just think like this constant communication just ruined everything. And, and also You're the right. 80s has produced the most Republican generation um, yeah. in a very, very long we're time. holding down the fort. We're holding down That's the true. Genesis. That's true. Remember the most exciting thing in the world? So to me, it was anyway. When you're like 16 or 17 and you come home and it's before a Saturday night and then checking the answering machine and it says, you have 12 <laughs> new messages. It's going to be a good night. I, I would change my uh, my greeting every every weekend just and people would just call just to hear what the new greeting was. But Do yeah, you know what I remember about the phone? My phone stories are like me on the phone and then my mom needing to use the phone and getting on the other line and embarrassing me and saying, I need, you need to get off the phone. It would be so embarrassing. Uh, or yeah. star 69. Remember that? I remember going, yeah, when that came in, that was a bit, that was a big deal when star 69 came in, but I also thought about, um, you have when, to explain when, star 69 because anyone we, younger than us doesn't know what that is. They think we're talking about something. Else. Yeah. So, oh, so right now yeah, that's a good point. Number You're pops up on your phone um, when someone calls you, but back, back in the day, we didn't have the number pop up. We didn't know who was calling you. There was no, no way to know. But a, a new tool came out from, I think, whatever it was, AT&T at the time. You could hit star six, nine, and then it would tell you what the last number was that called your house. So you know, you could not be in. You could not be discreet when you called any longer because people could find out who was calling their house. I remember when we went from a corded phone to a cordless phone. I was like, Ooh. this is magical. I'm not tied to a cord at the phone, which is pretty amazing. And then yeah. sometimes so. you could hear other cordless phone conversations of neighbors. I don't know if, it, like if you went to, because it had yeah. like 10 different <laughs> channels, it's like a CV. So I, I did that with with one neighbor particularly. But remember also the emergency breakthrough was just a horrible thing that you know was abused. So if somebody's line was busy and they didn't have call waiting, you did what was called an emergency breakthrough where the operator had to tell the other person to oh, hang yeah. up. 
Yeah, and you could get like arrested. I never, for that. I never did that, Joe. That was. <laughs> I tried that. That didn't work for me. You wonder how oh, I never got a second date. The- well, we'll have more of this conversation after this. Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. Okay, we're going uh, to move from the, the 80s. 80s. We're going to move okay. Let's 80s. go to today. And Come on, man. Come on, man. Oh, man. Tell us about your book, Joe. Well, it's funny. As Rachel mentioned, uh, it was on several bestseller lists. And I think we talked before how you don't want to be in the same lane as everybody else, like I, I, with my sports career, for example. Well, I thought I was going to be in the same lane as far as writing a book about a sitting president. Because I'm old enough to remember the last president, Donald Trump, and it seemed like every week there was a book that came out on the Trump presidency, most of them negative. And you heard it from all these White House correspondents and so-called journalists saying we have to speak truth to power. And that's why I wrote this book, because we have an authoritarian in the White House, and I wrote this because democracy is at stake and all this other stuff. Well, all those people, curiously, have lost their inclination to write about the current president. So I looked at the landscape, and there were 15 books out when my book came out on a president, but it wasn't President Biden. It was on Donald Trump, and there was one book out on Joe Biden, and you're literally talking to the author of it. So, you're, so basically, you're the only person in America who wanted to write about Joe Biden. Yes, and it's a, well, you know, he doesn't give you any material to work with or anything. Oh, that's right. Completely and totally. <laughs> and you go back throughout his entire life, and this man has failed upwards in everything that he's done. It's really quite remarkable, because yeah. when you fail upwards, eventually you hit a ceiling, right? You can't keep going all the way up to a place, an Oval Office that only 45 people have occupied but sure enough he somehow got there through not just failing upwards but just having the the greatest luck ever and by, by that what i mean is in 1988 and back to the 80s he ran for president and, and people forget this but he had to drop out because of plagiarism and not just plagiarism with a small p you know it was like word for word from a guy who was running for prime minister of britain so you would think that would end his presidential aspirations but no he runs again in 2008 doesn't even get to iowa but then barack obama comes out of nowhere and captures the nomination but since he was in the senate for like five minutes and was a community organizer before that he needed barack obama did needed some Somebody uh, old and white and had some foreign policy experience. So it came down to Joe Biden and Tim Kaine. And basically through a coin flip, Biden gets chosen. <laughs> so now he's yeah, vice president of the United States. And then when he runs for president in 2020, if COVID doesn't happen, and I don't know, uh, these sort of pandemics only come around, what, once every 100 years. Think about if there's no COVID. We were, we were just where we were with Reagan in 1984 under Trump. P- 
peace, prosperity. And the incumbent never gets beat in that situation, especially against a candidate like Joe Biden, who wouldn't be able to hide because there's no pandemic. He would actually have to campaign on raising taxes and climate change, I guess, and opening the border. And I'm pretty sure that that would have been a Mondale type of landslide that he would have experienced. But he gets the pandemic. He has to he basically runs for president by pleading the fifth. The media, obviously, complete activists, totally out to get Trump. And the country was in a very bad place as far as the pandemic was concerned. So, you know, Biden wins. And now we see what happens when he has real power. Like, he used to be a joke. Like, when he was a senator, he was only one of 100 people in one chamber. When he was vice president, it was a symbolic position for the most part. Now he has power. And now you see, like, he's the type of guy who will say, I think if we spend trillions more dollars, that will lower inflation. No. I think if we start talking about reallocating funds for police, that maybe crime's going to go up. And of course it does. And then he opens the border and you see all this fentanyl coming in where 300 people are dying a day on average from overdoses. So now it's no longer a joke. It's serious. And we talk all about it in the book. Yeah, I, I love that. And you you missed one part of his his failing up, right? Mm-hmm. In the primary, th- these are brass knuckle punching primaries, right? And Republicans and Democratic side. Joe Biden was not successful in the Democrat primary in 2020. You remember it was yes. Bernie Sanders who started to surge at the at, at the, in the in the in the in the middle of the primary season and Democrats started to freak out going, oh, my goodness, it's not going to be Mayor Pete. What? We can't have Bernie Sanders. We might lose to Trump again. We need to find a different candidate that's not Bernie Sanders. And we all have to rally behind them. Barack Obama got involved and got all the other candidates to stand down. That's right. And pick Joe Biden so he could fail up and over Bernie Sanders and have the nomination given to him. And then COVID hit, and then he was able to hide in his basement and not talk about the issues. And then he had to cover from the media. But it's a disastrous way to get the presidency, which would match the disaster of his presidency. You know what else is weird? That he got away with, like, he has had one of some of the worst record of, like, racist things you could say. Like, literally about Barack Obama. He said he's, like, the first articulate, clean black person to run for high office. Like, I mean, that is like so disqualifying. And the guy he's talking about chooses him as the vice president. It's the most remarkable thing. Or you look at the kind of abuse that Donald Trump's kids had. And I mean, really, you can't say much about the kids. I mean, they're good kids. I mean, they're successful. They're nice kids. Never been in any trouble. And like Joe Biden's kids, I mean, like, Hunter Biden is still causing problems for the Biden administration. And Joe Biden and was America. involved in all of this stuff. It is amazing what he gets away with. Particularly the Hunter Biden laptop story, right? I mean, three weeks before an election. Oh, I and, mean. With, with, and everybody talks about how, you know, oh, boy, we're in such trouble since Elon Musk took over Twitter. Yeah, because it was being run so well before that, right? Censorship, locking out accounts. And obviously, the, the, again, the media covering uh, for Joe Biden just trying to get his old bones over the, the finish line. But yeah, back to that primary, Sean, that's a, that's a great point. And you remember, he got blown out in Iowa. He got blown out in New Hampshire. And he's got to win South Carolina. So he reverts to what he does best, which is lie and lie so poorly. And it is so easily fact-checked. But, but of course, the fact-checkers are on, like, you know, a 22-month spring break now at this point but but he says that he was arrested trying to see Nelson Mandela 
at the yeah. height of apartheid. <laughs> As right. a sitting U.S. senator, I'm pretty sure we would have heard about this in a foreign country. And of course it never happened, but he said it because he had to win South Carolina, which has a large black population. So he said whatever it could take, whatever it took. And he still says to this day that he was uh, arrested at civil rights marches, which there is no record of whatsoever. So yeah, Rachel, to your point, that the things that he says and gets away with is, is utterly remarkable. I thought the turning point would be when he said that, you know, when you tuck your kids in at night, make sure they're listening to the record player. You're like, how could we elect this person? But the other candidates were so horrible or dropped out that, yeah, they, they cleared the lanes to get him there. And now I wonder, they lose the House, and then all those hearings are launched into Hunter Biden and the laptop and Joe Biden's possible connection to it. Then I think he says, I'm out of here. Oh, it'll happen. Believe me. And and, and then you got to think, okay, he's going to be like, I can't get anything done. I'm going to be 86 years old if I run and I win again. So I think he says, just like they cleared the lanes for him, he's going to clear the lane for somebody to come in. But who's it going to be? Gavin Newsom? What's that bumper sticker? I'll do to America what I did to California? I mean, the Democratic Party. This is my next book. They're guys are in serious There's no Obama coming. We did the big Saturday, big Sunday show together. Was it last week or a couple weeks ago? And we had this fight. And I think you're wrong. I think when you get to the presidency, Joe, yeah, he has fought a lifetime. You mentioned he ran for the presidency in the in the 80s. He's wanted to be there his whole life. He got there. There's no way in hell that he's going to give it up willfully. Really? No. So he was he listen, he was failing mentally and he was old when he ran in 2020. And he still did it. His wife still let him do it. Yeah, she's, He's not she's going to horrible. give it up unless the media comes out and starts to attack him. They start to tell the truth. They start to expose him. They start to give transparency to the Biden presidency. If they do that, the truth, as it starts to uh, permeate throughout you know, liberal Democrat society, they'll have to pick someone else. But if the media doesn't turn on him, he is going to run again, and they're in a they're in a pickle. So that's what interesting, they, Sean. They, I never really thought of it that way. I mean, I just I look point. at him, and I don't even see he could physically do it. But I he mean, loves he loves it, but he, he can't. I mean, Sean, I don't think so. He fake you know, jogs. Yes, he does. You know, he, you know, oh, you think he? I, I think there are moments <laughs> where he does not love it. I think there. Are, I think Jill Biden absolutely loves this. She is absolutely Lady Macbeth. This is what she wants. She pushed him into this. I think if they had said you could stay home and have ice cream, um, I think at this point he'd want to. But you disagree. Well, he, he, is, he is staying home eating ice cream. He's I know. Delaware right now, so he's like, I can be the president and stay home eating ice cream. Think? What do you think? And I can, what do you I, think, I can Joe? smell young girls' hair. I love this. This is, a, this is the best job <laughs> ever. I want to. Keep I it. think. Sean's Sean's scenario that he lays out is a very pragmatic one. I think, though, it won't be the media that turns on him. They will to a certain extent, but not with the hostility they did with Donald Trump. I think his party will turn on him, particularly the progressives in it who didn't think he got enough done when he had the chance when he had the Senate and Congress. And I think that from within he'll be pushed out. But to Sean's point, it's like trying to take the keys from grandpa and telling him he can't drive anymore. He doesn't give up those keys very easily. So, but I think in the end, push comes to shove. That's a, that's a better analogy for me that I can, I can understand. Grandpa doesn't give the keys up. We'll have more of this conversation after this. So do they take Kamala Harris? Do they go with another white guy in Gavin Newsom? Uh, who I agree with Rachel. He is probably their best pick who obviously destroyed the state of California, but he looks the part. He sounds the part. His policies are I mean, even worse than than Biden. Where do they go? And that they could think that problem is a bigger problem for them than keeping Joe Biden in the basement and running for a no. second term. They can't navigate that. And if they lose the 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 the, the black female vote, which they could if they don't take Kamala Harris. Yes. The party is yeah. over. Larry Elders did up. say that he, Larry Elders said, Joe, that 
if they bypass Kamala, that black women who are a, one of the most important segments of the Democrat coalition, that right. they would take it personally and that they would not vote. And that would be a disaster. What do you think of Who's that? They, though, when they say they bypass, like it would be a pri- it would be an open primary. Right. And if she doesn't get the votes, then you can't really blame anybody except herself. Right. Or you're yeah, saying the party would angry. like they, they will, they will, if Democrats don't vote for Kamala, then they're a racist party. Then they're then they don't support. They already the, didn't. The, the, <laughs> right, but right, but they're that's but, true. But but now she's the vice president. Now she's elevated. She was a failing candidate in 2020 uh, who got forced out early. But now she comes from she's a the place heir of apparent. power. She's the heir apparent. That's right. right. Joe, can I ask you a question? Sure. Has it been hard for you um, in the course of the last almost two years of the? Joe Biden presidency to share the first name, Joe Concha, <laughs> Joe Biden. Has there been a problem with that for you? You know what I've noticed, you know, when you guys have uh, young kids like I do, there are no more Joes, right? No one names their kid really? Joe. There's my yet to be a Joe, Joe in any of my kids. I have a brother, Joe. But no, no, no. That's, that's generational. They, that's yeah. the past. I'm talking now. No one names their kids Joe. Just like really? there are no more Rachels, right? There's still some Shawns, uh, but every name seems to start and end with A, right? Particularly on the girls' side. There's Ava, and there's Ariana, and there's Alexandra, and <laughs> there are no. My dad's name's Alan. There's no more Allens. It's funny how just some names get retired, but mostly people Joseph call me. Joseph will never conch. go anywhere. Joseph's going to come. Saint, listen, Saint Joseph. There's still a Father billion Christ, Catholics man. in the world. Um, so let, let me ask you this, Joe. You wrote yep. this book. You're the only man in America writing a book on Joe Biden. Um, <laughs> you give it a you give it an awesome title. Um, yes. You tell the story of this disastrous presidency, which is worse than any of us could have predicted. We knew it was going to go bad. It's worse than we ever thought. Yep. What did you learn about Joe Biden that you didn't know before you started writing this book? Is there something that, you know, you didn't I expect? Think the- yeah, I knew that like every politician lies type of thing, and he's had his gaffes. And so many people say, ah, it's just you remember these because you guys are from Wisconsin. And John Madden would always say, after Brett Favre would throw some crippling interception where he throws across his body in the double coverage, and Madden would always justify, ah, it's just Brett Favre being Brett Favre. You know, you got to be a gambler, and then g- gambling is part of life, and Brett Favre takes chances, and sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. So with Joe Biden, they'd always say, well, it's just Joe Biden being Joe Biden. But the extent of the lying. Under no duress, I think, is what surprised me the most. In other words, you're running in a campaign. You're going to say things that, that people want to hear. Okay, every politician does it. But the corn pop story, in really diving into that, I give a whole chapter to it, chapter 12. It is the most chapter utterly 12, ridiculous pop. story I have ever heard. Do you, do you know the background around this? About corn pop? Tell us. Remind yeah. us all. <laughs> Okay, so Joe Biden, every every part of this is a lie. It's all from his book, by the way. So I'm not like, you know, going off of unnamed sources and all that. This is literally what Joe Biden wrote in his book. And he says, okay, at age 19, he decides he wants to be a lifeguard at a pool that's predominantly in a black community. And he said he did that because he wanted to get to know the black community better, which there is no 19-year-old on the planet who thinks that way when going for a summer job. But okay, that's what he claims now because he's pandering. So then he's on the job one day, and this gang shows up. Yeah, in 1965. (laughs) It's even before that, I think. I think it's like 19... Yeah, uh, 1960 maybe, 1961. And and he's he's on a diving board. I'm sorry, he's he's on, you know, the lifeguard chair. And this gang shows up, but they're not the Crips and they're not the Bloods. They're called the Romans, which is kind of a classy name for a gang. But this is Wilmington and it's not Watts. So, okay, we we accept it. And the leader of the gang, his name is Corn Pop, which sounds like a cereal. But again, it's Delaware and the gangs, I guess, aren't as tough there. 
And then this gang shows up one day and they're playing sharks and minnows and Marco Polo in the pool and everything. And Corn Pop goes up on the high dive and he's about to dive off when out of nowhere, this lifeguard morphs from David Hasselhoff into Clint Eastwood, like in a flash, and starts screaming at Corn Pop where everybody stops and looks. And Biden's saying, you don't have the proper swimwear on. That's not a regulation bathing cap. Get off that diving board. Who do you think you are? Esther Williams? Who's Esther Williams? She was like a big female swimmer at the time. So he is basically completely humiliated the leader of a gang for not wearing the proper bathing cap. And everybody sees this. So then afterwards, Biden's leaving work and he kind of peeks out into the parking lot and they're they're waiting to shiv him. They, they all have what he called long razors, right? So he goes back. He gets the thing that separates the low end from the deep end, walks out, goes right up to Corn Pop and says, let me get let me let me, let me clear uh, clear you up on a couple things, Bob. I'm not going to apologize for having you wear the proper swimwear, but I will apologize for calling you Esther Williams because that was uncalled for. Corn Pop, this is according to Biden, looks him up and down and says, okay, we're good, and walks away. And if you believe that happened, you believe we're at zero inflation. You know what I know, Joe? Yes. I know that Corn Pop was a bad dude. He's a bad dude. He existed, though. He died in 2016, so no one can verify this story, unfortunately. But, yeah, he's it's a real so person. Insane. It's so insane. Like, I don't understand how Democrats aren't just deeply embarrassed about oh. Joe Biden, that this is their guy. I don't, the, I don't think the liberal media actually covers the, like the corn pop story. They don't cover when he comes out and says, when I took office, gas prices were above $5, $5. a gallon. And it's like, actually, no, they were two thirty a gallon. He's like, I brought him. I brought the gas prices down. He, he, he's, he is, he's had a political career of lying. Which, by the way, I mean, it's really hard to lie in politics. You get called out. I mean, actually, he is getting called out. But it's rare to have the media so in the tank for you that they cover for you and don't report on it. And the sad truth is, is that many Americans watch, you know, Good Morning America or the Today Show. I mean, that's where they're getting a lot of their news or the or the nightly news. They're not yep. watching the good networks like like we have on Fox. And so they just get this complete um, morphed sense of who Joe Biden is and what he's done. However, in their everyday lives, or they get right. or they get nothing. That's right. By their everyday lives, they're going. Something's changed in the last year and a half in my in in my bank account, in my household, and with my lockdowns and my kids' education. And and what's changed in the last year and a half? Oh, Joe Biden became president. I don't like his party. I'm going to vote for for Republicans in November. I mean, I think that's it's, it's as simple as that. Yeah. You know what the good news is that I remember 2016, The Hill did this analysis of every major newspaper and their endorsements and 57 of the 59 newspapers that we looked at endorsed Hillary Clinton and only two went to Donald Trump. And what that got Hillary Clinton was a concession speech and a set of steak knives. In other words, all these papers said this is how you should vote and here's why. And they were ignored. (laughs) So the good news is that the media doesn't have as much influence that it does. But as far as getting nothing, when Joe Biden says, uh, when I came in office, gas prices were over $5, and now they're falling faster than at any time in, in our history. That's like me gaining 50 pounds. And then Mrs. Conscious says, hey, you know, I didn't really sign up for this. You look like you're in your second trimester. And I go, oh, you're right. So I lose like six pounds back. And I say, boy, I've never lost this much weight this fast in my life. No, I'm still 44 pounds overweight. It's the same thing with gas prices. He keeps saying they're they're coming way down. Coming way down from what? An all-time high. It was 239 when you came into office, Mr. President. Now it's $3.75. That's infinitely higher, yet he keeps saying that it's falling or inflation's at 0%. But what drives me crazy is when we had two straight quarters of negative growth, the Biden administration kept insisting that's not a recession when that has always been the traditional definition. And then some media members like Paul Krugman will actually say, you know, he's got a point. 
I know we've That's always right. called it that, but maybe we're not in a recession. They echo what, they, what the administration wants to say, Sean. It's technical. It's a technical recession, but we're not really in a recession, <laughs> right? I mean, you're like, what? What do you I mean? Or inflation is, it's a global thing instead of like, no, you turned off the spigot of American, you know, gas Energy. and oil. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. it's just lies after lies. I'm glad that you dug deeper into this. I think the chapter on corn oh. pop should go down for Pulitzer <laughs> Prize material personally. Um, I, and I mean, I, I, I say that in jest, but I actually mean that because as Sean said, our journalists have not given it the amount of attention that and many other lies, the amount of attention it deserves. You did you did the dirty work of going into the Biden presidency and all the lies, laying it out for posterity's sake. One day this too shall pass and we will get past the Joe Biden presidency. And at least somebody will have written down the truth, Joe, and reminded us all of what we what not to do let's we could well, rename the 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 reprint should be what not to do well i never what not to do. i like that not just journalists uh covering for biden but there's a whole chapter on the late night hosts and you know growing up it was yes. carson when i was young a young letterman like nbc letterman like stupid petrix letterman before he got political obviously leno i thought conan o'brien was very underrated and now you see what colbert and kimmel and seth myers in particular and how it is unwatchable. Uh, it, when the, when they used to say, hey, we got George Clooney tonight, you'd be like, all right, man, that, that might be interesting. And now it's like, join Stephen as he sits down with Bernie Sanders. And you're like, Bernie Sanders? <laughs> this is your big guest? How did this happen? And, but, but, but the turning point really for me was 2016, four nights after the election, I tune into Saturday Night Live. I'm like, how are they going to handle Trump winning? So Kate McKinnon comes out, and she's dressed as Hillary Clinton. And then she starts singing hallelujah and all the lights are down i'm like there better be a punchline at the end of this because this is weird instead mckinnon turns toward the camera and she says i'm not giving up and neither should you live from new york it's saturday night and i go what the f did i just watch this is saturday night live belushi murray eddie murphy this how did this happen so yeah there's a whole uh, chapter on late night escapism gone yeah yeah they're the worst sorest losers and they totally have trump trump derangement syndrome it's been it's been delicious watching greg gutfeld beat them yeah, Gutfeld, he found his niche audience, half the country, <laughs> because right. no one else, everybody else is occupying for the same people, saying the same things, totally political. And the thing about Gutfeld's show is people say, oh, well, then it's just right-wing talking points. No, actually, his show talks less about politics than the other ones, believe it or not. I think it's more an analysis, for lack of a better word, on pop culture, right, and the insanity of the left more than it is about political talk and horse races and so on. I think that's what makes it successful. And the studio audience is a big help, too. I, I can't stress that enough. And and he works hard at comedy. He she's trying to tell jokes, and he'll and he'll you know he's got great writers, and um, he's there for the laughs, right? Where these these other um, main channel um, late night hosts, they're just about politics. And listen, this this was always a time and a space where we got away from politics. And as Americans, we laughed at ourselves, we laughed at our leaders, um, we laughed at all kinds of things together, and that's gone away. And now even late night comedy is divided. Listen, Joe, I want to I want to thank you for writing the book, too. I'll, I'll echo Rachel's comments. And I want to thank you for joining us at our kitchen table. You are a great American, a great contributor at Fox. And uh, I would echo Rachel's comment, too, that it's always fun to have you on. And, and when I see your face and I'm and you're muted, I always turn the volume up to go. What is Joe Contra going to say yeah. today? How is Joe oh, Contra so going to cool. inform me and educate me? Uh, which you always make me do. laugh. Make me laugh, Joe Contra. Come on, man. Go get it. <laughs> I love this Come on, man. 
It's it's uh, <laughs> ways, but I suppose you get it at Amazon or wherever you get your books. Amazon, uh, come on, yeah. man. Yeah, that's great. You can so, brag one last time. So tell us how you how high you got on the on the New York Times. It wasn't New York, wasn't it? It wasn't it was New York, was it? Oh well, yeah. I, I I meant to. It's not correct you so much. I, I made the the uh, bestseller list of the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, yes. Publishers Weekly, and Amazon. The one. Oh yeah, New York uh, Times did it for you. Well, here's the thing. All right, the little inside sauce here. Harper Collins is my publisher. They had two other books on the New York Times bestseller list when when my book completed its first week, and they said to me. Look, we have the numbers right in front of us. You doubled both of our other HarperCollins books, and they're on here, and you're not. I mean, it's complete proof that, that this thing is rigged. And in 1983, the writer of The Exorcist, of all people, sued The New York Times because he had a clause in his contract that said, if you make The New York Times bestseller list, you get an advance of X, or you get a, like a bonus, right? And they kept him off, yet he was like number one or number two in all these other lists. And, and they've had to admit in court that it's not based on raw data as it should be, like a baseball score. Who scored more runs wins the game. It's based on editorial decisions. So in this case, oh, my book, because of the title, so Come insulted on, them that they it's had to keep it off. Is that unbelievable? <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to have to go with a softer title next time. Or I'm going to put in my contract that I get like a $1 million bonus if I'm on the New York Times list. So when they keep me off, well, oh, I'll be calling Jackie well, Childs, my lawyer, in about it. 10 seconds. You, you came out with it in the middle of a hurricane to, to boot, which isn't well, easy true. to sell a book because you were off yeah. the air. And you still sold a lot of copies and people are reading it. People are loving it. And I think people should buy it for co- for the corn pop chapter. So you, alone. you should have actually named the yes. book corn pop. Yeah, actually, God, we came up with so many great titles corn for him today. That could be the All next right. man. You, the gang member you never knew. Yeah. <laughs> you got something the there. Story. You can't get a whole book out of this, probably. And then you just talk about like other gang leaders or whatever. Yeah. Okay. I like this. Right. I like this. You get 10%. Both all, of you. Thank all you. The great, all the great stories of Joe Biden. Well, Joe Concha, thanks for joining us at the kitchen table. We are so grateful yeah. uh, that you would spend some time with us. Um, it's so nice to not do a five minute at. segment. <laughs> you know, like we actually <laughs> talk during this. You're so much fun. We just couldn't let you go. Let, Sorry about you have that. To let, Joe Concha breathe every now and again. Let him breathe and air things out, which was fantastic here at the kitchen table. All right, Joe Concha, thank you for joining us. We'll see you on air sometime soon again, I'm sure. Thank you, Duffy. Talk to you soon. Listen, if you like a podcast, you can rate, review, subscribe to From the Kitchen Table wherever you get your podcast. We'd be very grateful. One great place is at Apple. Listen, ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription and Apple Podcast. And Amazon Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. We'll see you around next week, around our kitchen table. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.